This is Free Talk Live. It is the Thursday edition, and we kick off hour number one. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free. And so, there you go, freetalklive.com. Those other radio talk shows want to charge you for access to their site, and we give it all away, freetalklive.com. Well, there may be some good news, Mark. You remember the Military Commissions Act was passed about a month and a half ago, and it essentially eviscerated uh, habeas corpus, which, of course, is the uh, the body of evidence, make, me, meaning that one of the things it in, entails is that you as a defendant in a court trial can actually, you know, take a look at the evidence against you. Um, they suspended that for so-called enemy combatants, as well as the people being held down in Guantanamo and anybody else that the uh, the federal government has, has deemed should be operating outside of the normal system of courts in this country, which is what the Military Commissions Act essentially allowed for. Well, I wouldn't get my hopes up too much on this, but eh, I should probably bring in the good news, or what may be good news from McClatchy newspapers, President Bush's victory in getting the rules he wanted to try suspected terrorists, could be diminished. The top Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee signaled this week that he'll join the prominent Democrats in seeking to restore legal rights to hundreds of suspected terrorists confined at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, elsewhere, and elsewhere. While the measure to restore the right of habeas corpus has almost no chance of passing before Congress adjourns later this week, the message is clear, and that is that when Democrats take over in early January, the issue could resurface. Uh, please note the words could and may in this article. So it could not go anywhere, and it's possible that nothing will happen. But nonetheless, the Military Commissions Act of 2006, which Bush signed into law in October, prevents detainees who aren't U.S. citizens from det- uh, from challenging their detentions in civilian courts. And uh, I also might mention it prevents anybody who's been labeled an enemy combatant from challenging their detentions. And I wonder if this particular... Uh, bill that's looking at reinitiating habeas corpus will also bring it back for so-called enemy combatants, or will they just bring it back for the people who aren't U.S. citizens in places like Guantanamo? So not quite sure to the details of this yet. Well, I mean, uh, wasn't habeas corpus essentially suspended for um, what anybody that this little uh, group of um, Bushes, whoever he decides to deem as this uh, panel, um, decides as an em- enemy combatant? That's correct. So you would have to be an enemy combatant for um, habeas corpus to be suspended for you. Right. So I guess it's suspended for enemy combatants. It is suspended for enemy combatants, but you see it's also been suspended for, uh, let's see, it it prevents detainees who aren't U.S. citizens from challenging their detentions in civilian courts. But that's not all it does. It also does it to U.S. citizens who are deemed enemy combatants. So I'm just wondering what exactly it is they're planning on reversing. I get the feeling it's not going to be everything. But nonetheless, uh, according to Arlen Specter from Pennsylvania, who voted for the legislation despite his opposition to stripping such rights from detainees, on Tuesday reintroduced legislation to restore those rights. A similar measure sponsored by Specter failed by three votes in October. In a speech on the Senate floor, Specter said he was reintroducing the issue to prevent federal courts from striking down the legislation which some of the detainees' attorneys have challenged. But some lawmakers privately speculated that Specter might have decided to reintroduce the legislation after a recent article in the New Yorker magazine suggested his desire to retain his powerful committee chairmanship led him to go along with the administration's wishes. 
He repeated on Tuesday his contention that the act violates the Constitution. Quote, the Constitution of the United States is explicit that habeas corpus may be suspended only in times of rebellion or invasion, said Specter. We are suffering neither of those alternatives at the present time. We've not been invaded, and there has not been a rebellion. That much is conceded. His co-sponsor, Senator Patrick Leahy from Vermont, who will become chairman of the uh, the Judiciary Committee in January, noted that the effort to secure habeas appeals for all detainees failed by only three votes. Quote, since then, the American people have spoken against the administration's stay-the-course approach to national security and against a rubber-stamp Congress that accommodated this administration's efforts to grab more power. Abolishing habeas corpus for anyone who the government thinks might have assisted enemies in the United States is unnecessary and morally wrong. It's a betrayal of the most basic values of freedom for which America stands. You know, I, I don't normally agree with any of these people. Patrick Leahy and whoever the other guy, Arlen Specter. Normally, I can't agree with anything they say, but in this case, it's hard to disagree. In this case, they're at least their talking points are correct. Whether or not they go, are going to put their money where their mouths are and actually do something about this right. well, remains to be seen. You've said it before, and, and it's true. Politicians like to find parades and get out in front of them. This parade may be big enough for these politicians to actually walk it all the way in and, and fix something, or it may be just something they want to get out in front of and um, lead the band and then, uh, you know, kind of, whoops, drop the ball at the end. Well, Senator Lindsey Graham is against the change. He's served as a military lawyer and a judge who helped craft the detainee legislation, said he'd oppose the move. He said he doubted that even a Democratic-led Senate would go along with it. During the debate, Republicans had sought to portray Democrats who were opposed to lifting such rights as soft on terrorists. Quote, I'm curious to see the five new Democrats would think about giving what the five new Democrats would think about giving terrorists the ability to sue our troops in federal court and having federal district court judges make wartime decisions. I got a feeling a lot of them would agree with me. Well, we're not talking about the terrorists suing the troops. You can't do that. You can't sue the troops. What we're talking about is having trials when you accuse these people of being terrorists. Yeah, it's just more, um, it's just meant to muddy the waters. Right. He's not saying that for any reason other than to muddy the waters. Attorneys for some of those... Of course, we don't want the troops sued by the terrorists. You can't sue the troops. It's just like any other bureaucrat. I mean, they have sovereign immunity. Quote, there's strong support in Congress, and if the issue was significantly understood, there'd be overwhelming support among Americans, said Jonathan Hafitz, who handles detainee cases for uh, the New York University School of Law. Quote, the issue is not whether or not America should detain or try suspected terrorists. The issue is whether we are going to have a lawful and fair process. And indeed, that is the issue. The issue is, in the United States, when you're accused of some sort of a crime, as terrorism is, it's a crime against certain individuals. You know, if you're blowing up a building, you've just threatened the lives or possibly eliminated the lives of a variety of people. That's a murdering sort of crime. You know, if it's something else uh, that it brings damage to property, that's a property crime. These are not... Uh, we've got plenty of laws on the books to deal with these crimes. And we have courtrooms where evidence is to be presented, defendants are to be tried... And the public is to be allowed in to see it all. And, um, you know, it's not like it's unheard of for courts to suppress certain evidence that uh, might be, you know, might be uh, detrimental to national security if it Mm -hmm. comes into play. So I can't see why we can't give these people public trials. 
Um, I mean, is the information so valuable? I, I wonder, I mean, when it comes to Jose Padilla, he, they, they're not even charging him with what they originally accused him of. Because they got nothing. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm thinking the case is. I don't mm-hmm. know. He may very well be a dangerous terrorist involved in all kinds of Al Qaeda schemes, but you know, can't a judge decide that? Indeed. So that's what we're looking at here. So you know, again, the issue is getting back to the Constitution, or at least closer, <laughs> getting closer to the Constitution, because the Military Commissions Act pushed us very far away. Now, again, I'm not sure what exactly it is they're going to be reversing. Habeas corpus, okay, yeah, you want to let habeas corpus back in, but what about the military tribunals? This article doesn't it doesn't address that. Are we going to have military tribunals with habeas corpus? Are you going to allow the defendants to see the evidence against them but not actually meet with a defense attorney, not actually go to their trial? I mean, really, how many steps are we going to take back towards freedom? Because the Military Commissions Act took a good ten steps away from freedom. Are we just going to take one step back? I mean, it'd be something, but... Not much. What do you think the plan is here? Is it going to be a symbolic gesture, like a lot of these eminent domain protections, so-called, that we've seen? These eminent domain protection laws that have been passed around the country? Which don't really, a lot of them don't do anything for protecting people from eminent domain seizures. They just are symbolism. Just something for the politicians to say, look, I protected eminent domain. Here's the bill to prove it. We know you're not going to actually read the bill, so you'll just have to take my word for it. Yeah, here's the eminent domain bill. 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves. James Kim, the CNET editor, had gone missing for quite a while, and now we know what happened. And It's an amazing story. Coming up, Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is 1-800-259-9231, also known as the Packet 8 toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so do enjoy those on us at freetalklive.com. Plus, get registered for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th. Meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. Oh, yeah, and at the freetalklive.com website, you'll find archives galore, an entire year's worth of the show, front page of the website for your downloading convenience. So enjoy them, freetalklive.com. Let's go to James Kim, or, well... Formerly James, well, he's dead. Yeah. Uh, they found his body. He was missing for a long time. And it's an interesting story that uh, accompanies his death, sad as it is, but maybe something that people can learn from. What happened, Mark? Uh, ABC News. After being stranded in the wilderness for more than a week, three members of a California family are doing remarkably well. Katie Kim, her four-year-old daughter Penelope, and her seven-month-old daughter Sabine should be released from Three Rivers Hospital in Grant Pass, Oregon. But the ordeal isn't over. The search continues. I'm sorry, this is... Uh, I thought that I had the, the article where he was uh, found dead. I, I have the one where he's uh, still lost. Um, Oops. The, you know, I, I guess, obviously, uh, Mr. Kim was found frozen uh, looking for uh, a town so that he could go and save his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess it struck me because I know that if I was stuck in that car with my wife and kids, that what I would want to do is what he did. I would want to go out and 
you know, even if I we looked at the map, it seemed like it was only a couple of miles to the next town, mm-hmm. and they thought it was four miles. It turned out it was 15. Holy crap. Yeah, it's... 15 is a long it's way a to long go. a long walk if you have ground beneath you, let alone snow to trudge through. Right. And um, I don't know. It, it sort of taught me a lesson. Just the, the little the little article itself is you, you can't just go running headlong to solve your problems every single time. Um, you know, he wanted to save his family, and I can totally understand that. Mm-hmm. And I would have been him. But... Uh, the smart thing to do in this particular case, the what the survivalists say to do, stay put. Let the rescuers find you. He probably felt, you know, they had been running the car pretty much uh, nonstop the whole right. time. It was freezing, you know. Uh, they wanted to keep the heater up and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, time it was ticking. It only lasts so long, yeah. yeah. Time was ticking. The gas tank might have been full when they started, but there's no guarantee it was. And it didn't. It ran out. Yeah, it, it did finally run out, yes. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I would think that the body heat would probably, you know, there's four people in a car. I don't know how big the car was, but mm-hmm. the pro- body heat would probably keep everything okay in there. But it, it, it would seem like, it would feel like the t- clock was ticking. And I just feel really, I feel really bad for this guy. And sure. I, I feel like I learned a lesson and, you know, not running out and just going headlong trying to solve problems. Sometimes problems will take care of themselves and you really got to think through it. So. Yeah, in that case, I mean, you and I, Florida-born, uh, obviously new to this whole snow and cold thing. Yeah, I'm cold sitting here. Uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine being out stuck in a snowbank. I'm not sure how exactly they, I don't know, did they make a wrong turn? And I don't know what exactly led them to getting stuck. But uh, there have been, since we've gotten up here, I've talked to some of the people up up here that... There's always some sort of horror story about some kids in a car running off the road and you know them being found next spring, just totally icicles dead. I mean, just very scary kind of stories. Um, and of course, there's plenty of stories of people that have just run off the road and they've. Uh, there was one guy, a friend of mine here in Keene, he told me that he ran off the road at one point, got stuck in some snow, and. He, you have to. It's so cold. It was so cold out this particular night. He had to run his engine as hot, hotter than idling, to keep it going. Huh. Like if he just let the engine idle, to it keep, would, it wouldn't be able out, to keep. It wouldn't. The the cold would overcome the, cold, the engine. Right. The cold would, would overcome the engine. Wow. Or at least to the point where um he wasn't getting any heat in the car. Like you'd have to pump the gas in order to get heat coming into the car. Wow. I mean that just to me is just. That is frightening stuff. So really, they of course, they recommend, and I'm sure everybody up here, up north, knows this stuff. And I'm sure, hopefully, James Kim and his family had this, but it seems like common sense. Maybe a few people don't, but you got to have an emergency kit. They had some minor provisions in the car. Yeah, you got to have a sleeping bag, man. I mean, you got to have, if you're going to get stuck in the snow, having a sleeping bag that you can climb into together with somebody else is uh, is going to go a long way to keeping you alive longer. Let alone, you know, also maybe a few granola bars or you know something like that that you can sort of sustain yourself on over time. Just scary. I try to be, um, you know, really fastidious about keeping my car clean. I'm going to have to put yeah. a yeah, survival pack in the trunk or something. Absolutely. Of course, you know, with my little convertible, it's not going to retain much heat anyway. That's true. If you uh, if you've got a survival story for us, would love to hear from you. Eight hundred two five nine. 9231, the packet 8 toll-free lines. As we go to the phones, to the fun, let's talk to Robert in California. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Robert. Hi, guys. Um, I'm not sure if this is true, but I, I work in um, uh, for a children's services place. 
I won't say which particular county, but um, okay. uh, a friend of mine just uh, came up and we were talking about the Military's Commission Act and a few other things, you know, that, that sort of uh, uh, affect our lives, you know, microwave radiation. But we were talking about the uh, RFID chips, and she said um, that the plan is, is to actually implant them in the children as soon as they're born, right in their heads. What? Now, wait, does she have credibility or is she just a co-worker at uh, some place? Uh, she's a co-worker with Children's Services. So children's this is this children's services plan? Whose plan? I don't is know it? if this is children's services, but this is something that she's heard into their heads, right into their head, right when they were born. I don't know if that sounds like the best place to insert something. Not that I'm a doctor or anything like that, but I mean, wouldn't their hands well, right be a little more effective? Scalp, you know, I mean, who's going to notice if they do it? You know. People just think it's a birthmark, and the hair grows over it, and no problem. Well, now, are they going to be asking for parents' permission before they do this? Possibly. You know, who knows? I mean, uh, they could probably ask for permission the first time and just make it sort of, like, traditional. Well, I you know, know that saying? they still have like to... circumcision? Well, <sighs> is circumcision tra- traditional these days? Is that included? In hospitals? Mostly, yeah. yeah. Really? Like when you go to have a baby and it's a boy, they just sort of put circumcision on the list of they, things they to do? They pretty much ask the parent, and then the parent usually follows along right with it. Okay, well, I sort of I am, agree with that. I'm under the impression that they still they still have to get consent from parents. Like, for instance, with well, the Social Security uh, number, when you get when you uh, have a kid born in a hospital, yes, it's tradition to fill out the Social Security paperwork, but I guess there are still some parents that refuse to do so, and you can refuse to do so, as I understand it, so... Hopefully, there will be ways to just say no to the RFID chip. And, of course, it's, it's not a surprise. There have been people who have been saying these things for a long, long time. And at this point, I, I don't think it's too crazy to suggest this, uh, such a thing in this right. surveillance society that we have today. Uh, you know, of course, the, the, the message they're going to give parents is, well, if you put this chip in your kid, it will be like your dog. You know, you, if you get lost or if they get uh, taken by some kidnapper, we'll be able to pull them up on the satellite and we'll know right where they are. Exactly, and that and that will be a selling point for yes. a lot of people. It's going to be very persuasive for parents. I mean, parents are very protective of their children, and just like circumcision, down the line, if I was 18 years old, and thanks for the call, Robert, if I was 18 years old and discovered that I had a chip in my head, I'd be awfully ticked off at my parents for allowing that to happen. More's on the way. You take control of the airwaves, toll-free, 800-259-9231. Well, apparently an entire city is apologizing to a rape victim, Mark. We'll find out how that works. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. Bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231, the Packet 8 toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got updates. You get signed up. We'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. Updates.freetalklive.com to get on the list. That's updates.freetalklive.com. Well, Mark, how can an entire city apologize to a rape victim? That's the headline of this story. Wisconsin City apologizes to blind rape victim who officials charged with lying. Isn't it amazing that an entire city, buildings, streets, trees, roads, they've all written a letter of apology to this woman. Well, they're probably talking about the city government. 
Uh, apparently so. Uh, for years, police in Madison and Madison, Wisconsin city lawyers refused to believe a blind woman who said an intruder raped her at knife point. They even charged her with lying about it. Yes, that's right. The police are here to serve and protect you. When you go to them and claim that you've been raped, that somebody has violated your personal self, they're going to laugh at you and charge you with a crime. How about that stuff? Well, <laughs> they're really um, doing their due diligence here, aren't they, Mark? I don't know. I, I want to hear a little more about the facts. Now, five years after DNA connected a sex offender to the attack, the city has apologized to the woman known as Patty and is offering her $35,000. Outraged by a book detailing her skeptical treatment by authorities, the city council approved the payment last month and ordered police to draw up new policies for interviewing crime victims. This is really groundbreaking, said Angela Rose, the Chicago-based National Director of Promoting Awareness, Victim Empowerment. I really applaud Patty's strength powering through to make sure that she found justice, not only for her, but countless other victims, that this is going to help. The council president, Austin King, called the case, quote, one of the most enormous, colossal failures the city has ever perpetrated. And, well, actually, it's one of the most enormous, colossal failures that we know that the city has ever perpetrated. Who knows who else they've been harassing and causing trouble for well it's the one they've gotten it's the one they've gotten caught for yeah exactly the resolution gives police chief noble ray 90 days to recommend new techniques for interviewing of victims of sensitive crimes including how to eliminate quote the use of lies coercion deception ruses and other techniques designed to break down individuals in all but the rarest of circumstances ray who won a standing ovation when he publicly apologized to patty in october said he'll probably recommend increased videotaping of interrogations and more guidance for officers when they on when they can use trickery the resolution offers the city's quote most heartfelt apology to patty and directs the city to pay her for legal fees as well as lost wages patty at the time was thirty eight years old woke up september fourth nineteen ninety seven with a man holding a knife to her throat it's been ten years she is since- this happened, and finally she got her apology? Yep. I see. She's legally blind and was not able to identify him. She called police immediately, like a good little citizen, and went for a hospital exam. Again, something else that rape victims are supposed to do. A lot of rape victims don't actually go for the uh, the hospital exam, and then they don't have enough evidence to actually say yes or no uh, against who did this. Yeah, I mean, the hospital exams should be done as quickly as possible. So she went into the hospital exam. Detectives doubted her after failing to find compelling evidence of an assault and learning that a man... That Meaning she, that there was uh, no... No tables knocked over or something like well, that? But, well, what about semen? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know. I'm just wondering, is, is there... Was it condom used or something like that? I'm not sure. A man that she named as a suspect who had an alibi, apparently. A new book by Bill Luters, editor of the Madison Weekly newspaper, recounts how two detectives used a ruse to pressure her into saying that she made up her story. Authorities then charged her with filing a false report, but dropped the charge when investigators found semen on her sheets. Lawyers hired to defend the city against Patty's lawsuit. So they lawsuit. used a ruse to get her to admit that she that, that that she was lying. Right. I would just it's hard to imagine what what one could say in order to get me to say that I'm um you know the crime that I'm committing that I'm uh, reporting here is Who knows? not something uh, I did. Cops can be very scary that, and they are very good at telling uh, half truths and lies. So I don't know exactly what happened and we don't have Patty here to a ask. A ruse her. certainly is a half truth or a lie. Lawyers hired to defend the city against Patty's lawsuit subjected her to 19 hours of depositions in which they asked her about her sexual history and mocked her 
for not trying to fight off the assailant, according to the book. She's blind. A judge dismissed the lawsuit. In 2001, the state crime lab discovered that DNA from Joseph Bong, a convicted sex offender, matched the semen. Bong was convicted of Patty's rape in 2004 and sentenced to 50 years in prison. Whoa. Quote, at every stage in this thing, there were opportunities for someone to say, something's wrong here. But no one ever did that. They defended their officer against the suggestion that he was in the wrong, and it became a really important cause for them to win this case. Gee, we've never seen this happen before, have we, Mark? Where an entire city government or police department or prosecutor's office stands behind the questionable police officer and acts as though he is the, uh, the golden boy and that, that nothing he could possibly do is wrong, and the police are, are always innocent, the police are always honest, but yet here we go, um, harassing a blind woman into into claiming that she never actually was raped when in fact she was indeed. And just just it's just outrageous what these people are doing. Well, the problem is is that um, the people that are slated to investigate the police in these circumstances are the police also. The city is is in charge of investigating the city. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the city? I mean, the city is going to be liable if the city finds out that it's done something wrong. Sure. So what's the city going to find out? It has no interest in finding those things it out. It has none. City and council. it took 10 years to find it out, and, and God knows how many um, how many dollars and how many lawsuits for L- this one to finally get justice. Listen to this guy. City councilman Zach Brandon said the book convinced him an apology was necessary. Quote, it was a tough read because you realize what she went through, and you ask yourself... How did we not catch that? Well, duh, Brandon, you are a bureaucracy. It's not a shock that you missed something, that a few facts flew by you, that your police department isn't exactly Johnny on the spot when it comes to being accurate or honest. This is typical of bureaucracies. You miss things all the time because you just don't even have your eyes open. And even if you did have your eyes open, you'd still miss them because you're too flippin' lazy to get off your butts, put down the box of donuts, and do something about it. Now, I'd like to see uh, rape victims have their crimes investigated with some sort of seriousness that maybe they're telling the truth. I it it's it's really it's tragic, but I mean, isn't it? I guess it's easier for the police to not investigate the rape. Than to actually have to go through, you know, filling out paperwork and tapping people's phone lines or whatever, however it is you investigate a rape. I'm well, not sure how that goes. You know, the adversarial um, legal system that we have is good enough for uh, the citizens, but it doesn't seem to be good enough for the um, people that work for the government. Um, I mean, obviously the police aren't on your side when they're investigating stuff, but apparently the police are on the, you know, I mean, when the police investigate the police. It's uh, not a lot of evidence that they're going to come up with, you know, not a lot of uh, motivation for them to come up with some evidence. Right. And and you know what? I mean, they're just not motivated to do anything, period, because they don't have to get results. What's it matter if the police solve a crime or not? Uh, Sure, they like to solve a crime from time to time. That way they can point to it and say, look, citizens, here we are protecting you. We're so wonderful. We are the police. But I'm sure this woman didn't feel that way for nine years of her life. And how many other people didn't have, you know, maybe they got robbed or held at gunpoint or had their stuff stolen from their house. All kinds of other crimes go by without being solved by the police. They're not as, uh, I guess, emotionally charged, per se, as rape is. You know, it's hard to get more emotionally charged than rape, I mean, yeah. except for maybe murder. And so they don't get, uh, a news company may not be necessarily interested in following the story. 
Oh, you got your bike stolen from you? Oh, okay. Uh, really, I mean, that's not a really persuasive, top-of-the-news-style story. Not something you're going to be able to write a book about, as this lady did. So these people just kind of get sidelined and, oh, okay, the police come and fill out a report, and that's the last you see from them. Why should they care about recovering your bicycle? Yeah, I mean, what difference does it make to them? Right. You know, when the I police was, chief is appointed. When I was uh, 15, I had my uh, motor scooter stolen, and, you know, the cops came after a couple of hours and took a report. And, mm-hmm. um, Did you get your scooter back? I got my scooter back, but my dad drove around, um, like, the next the next day or the day after right. in the neighborhood, just in the neighborhood there, and he found it. Well, that's some really tough detective work. Dad found it, and the cops weren't. What were they up to? Hmm? Donuts. 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. You like the show? You want to help Free Talk Live out? Well, vote for us. It only takes a moment of your time, and it makes a big difference. Go to vote.freetalklive.com to cast your vote, and uh, you, like a, a few hundred of our listeners, will help propel us as high as we can possibly go in the podcast rankings. We're currently number four out of something like 25,000-plus podcasts. So that's pretty good. But we finished last month at number three, so we know we can do better. In fact, we've been as high as number one. So with your vote, we can get up there. And, of course, the higher we are on the chart, the more likely somebody new is to come along and listen to the show. And that means more new people coming across the message of freedom and liberty. That's a good thing. Very good thing. Vote. .freetalklive.com. It's once a month, very easy. Vote.freetalklive.com. To the phones, to Jay in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Jay. Good evening. Great. What's on your mind? I was listening to a podcast just uh, this afternoon, and uh, Ian, I heard you mention that you are a big fan of the Amish. Uh, in In comparison to other religions, I find that the Amish are very, very respectful as far as not shoving their religion down one's throat. I like them for that. I agree 100%, and I'm going to tell you one more thing that you're going to love about them. And, uh, you Besides their cooking? Be, you, you, well, yeah, the cooking. I, I know I, I grew up in Pennsylvania Dutch country, and I've mm. got Amish heritage, so uh, I, I agree with the cooking. But, uh, no, there's, there's one thing about the Amish that you might want to convert and become Amish yourself. Oh, is that <laughs> right? That, Amish do not pay tax. Really? They they pay no tax. They pay no tax? I'm sorry? They pay no tax? No, they do not pay tax. How do they get away with that? Well, they do not use the state roads. Or they, they, well... Yes, they do. They use use the state roads, but they do not necessarily need the state roads. They could function without them. Uh Uh-huh. They do not use the state schools. They do not use any state services. They do not use any of the infrastructure. They are self-sustaining society. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, when you say the Amish, you mean... uh, You're not talking about Mennonites. You're talking about the Amish. Now, the Amish are the the most religious of the Amish slash Mennonites. The Mennonites are the more sort of modernized... Amish people. Now, what I about? Can't tell you, I can't tell you about the Mennonites. I'm not sure where they stand because I know that they have assimilated more into modern culture 
Um, when you talk I, about I, the Amish, um, you mean the ones living in Pennsylvania and Ohio, out in the middle of right. nowhere, those Amish? Correct. Because we come from Sarasota, Florida, and there's a large Amish slash Mennonite community. I, I'm sh- pretty sure there's some Amish people there, right, Mark? Yeah. Uh, I, they, they come down and they ride roller skates, and you know, they have their roller skates and, and bicycles. So yeah. Right. So there's a large community down there, and they live right in the heart of Sarasota, or fairly close to it at least. And a lot of them run businesses. Now, maybe those are the Mennonites. Um, but a lot of them run businesses, and a lot of them are out there. And and if they've got property, then are are they just not paying property taxes? They pay no taxes. They do have income. They they uh, here in our area, the Amish have a lot of businesses where they'll sell furniture mm-hmm. to uh, the public. They will sell uh, different uh, crafts and foods. Right. Um, there's a, a, a ton of Amish construction uh, workers that. Uh, uh, they've got Amish construction crews. Right. Um, you know, down in out. Sarasota, the uh, construction there is is great because, it, especially in the uh, 70s and um, 60s, because well, it was pretty much the Amish would come down for the winter and work there. Huh. Nobody builds a house like an Amish framing crew. They, they do great work. They so, do. Um, but they they do not pay taxes. What about um, the ones that sell the furniture? Do, they do. They do. They don't collect sales tax. I can't tell you about sales tax. I, all I'm speaking of is uh, income tax and property tax and the, the direct taxes. Indirect taxes such as, uh, you know, obviously... If, How is if it that you to, learned all this about that? You know, I have to say that, that, you know, there's different varying degrees of Amish, Mennonite, and how thoroughly they're in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Anabaptist church that they happen to be a part of. There's these Hutterites um, and uh, Brethren and, and these other... Groups and it depends on how thoroughly they are in the community as to how many taxes they would pay. I would guess it's it's a big issue in well not a big issue anymore. I guess it, at one point it was a big issue here in, in uh, Pennsylvania. I I live near the state capital in Harrisburg, uh, which is right outside of Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to know the former senator from Lancaster County and people that have worked on his staff. Uh, without going too deep into to the relationship sure. there, um, and there's. There were a lot of, of conversations of constituents calling in and complaining about the Amish tearing up the roads with their horse and buggies, but they don't pay any taxes. Hmm. Um, people complain about uh, the Amish and and uh, how, well, why do they not pay taxes and I have to? Something else so, I like about the Amish, and I, and I appreciate the information, and something else I like about them is that they stick together. Like if an Amish person was to be brought up on charges for not paying taxes... I get the feeling that a lot of the other Amish in the community would rally behind him. I mean, I get the feeling that the Amish are Absolutely. the kind of people that would have pitchforks and torches no, outside. No, no, Amish are very peaceful. They're they're peaceful people, but don't mess with the Amish. Yeah, but what will, happens they when will, they right. will protect each other? Right. What happens when you're threatening one of them? Uh, you know, when you're threatening their livelihood by throwing them in the clink? Don't you think they would get active then, or would they just sit back and say? Oh well, can't do anything. I think they would probably uh, turn, and this is—I I can't say for sure because I'm not Amish—but I would think that they would try to turn a peaceful protest. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they would. Uh, I don't think they would resort to violence. I didn't say but, violence. Uh, I said pitchforks and torches. That's well, peaceful. Yeah, I agree. Until you skewer somebody with up. one, or light someone <laughs> on fire, which I didn't suggest they would do for one moment. <laughs> So well, that's that's what I can tell you about the Amish. I think uh, interesting. that, that uh, we should all take a little bit of uh, lesson from them and and figure out how they're not paying taxes and how they're able to support themselves without this government that we've got uh, looming over us and and able to not go to jail for it is what I'm uh, most amazed yeah. by. 
Um, do some research. I'll do some research and send you some uh, some uh, information via email. And if, if you want to look more into it, uh, you know, certainly feel free. Thanks for the info, Jay. We appreciate it. Have a great night. 800-259-9231. Just one more thing to like about those guys. Hmm. 800-259-9231. Let's go to the Gallup polling organization. Mark, you've got some information about... Who knows what libertarian is, what the word means? Are people in America familiar with the concept? I don't think they are. They're, they're not, really. Um, from the Gallup News Service, a recent Gallup panel, this, this uh, whole set of numbers is so confusing mm-hmm. that I'm going to cherry-pick numbers okay. out of it, okay? A recent Gallup panel survey explored Americans' familiarity with and orientation to six different terms that describe Americans' political viewpoints. Conservative, liberal, libertarian, moderate, populist, and progressive. Americans are most familiar with terms conservative, liberal, moderate, and are relatively unfamiliar with the terms progressive, libertarian, and populist. Mm -hmm. Many Americans who choose one of the basic labels, conservative, moderate, or liberal, to describe their ideology, also choose another label when given a chance. This hmm. is particu- particularly the case for those who describe their um, views as moderate. A majority of Americans say that the terms conservative and moderate apply to them personally. 34%. Like, if you had to uh, describe yourself as a conservative, moderate, or liberal, what would you describe yourself as? None of the above. Right. Uh, well, that's, it's not one of the choices, though. I mean... I don't care. M- moderate's sort of one of those... Uh, but do you understand how a libertarian might get stuck, shoved into the term moderate? Sure. So um, anyway, moderates might um, describe themselves as something uh, beyond that. 34% of Americans say the term liberal applies to them, while 28% say progressive applies. So there's <laughs> Which is essentially the same thing. To, progressive to is mind, the new terminology yes. for liberal. No more than 1 in 10 Americans say the terms libertarian or populist applies to them. Roughly equal percentages of Americans, about uh, 1 in 5, describe their own political views as liberal or progressive. These uh, respondents show a slight preference for calling themselves a liberal over progressive, um, though most say it really doesn't matter. So it basically goes on, and uh, man, it's just a dizzying amount of numbers that you can... Give me the numbers on who understands what libertarianism is. Okay. Familiarity with political terminology. Very familiar with libertarian, 20%. Somewhat familiar with libertarian. 36%. 36%. So wrong. It's so wrong. I don't think that... I, I mean, I don't know what their methodology is. I don't know if they go into it here. But as somebody who has done outreach to the public, as somebody who has asked people in person, are they aware of what libertarianism is? I can say that these numbers are very inaccurate. I have a feeling that they just sort of threw out a term and asked people if they were familiar with yes. it. Yes. Did they define the term? Did they actually find out what the uh, the person's belief was they about that term? No, because they did if not. You don't, because you can say to somebody, and I've done this before, you can say to somebody, you come up to me at the Operation Politically Homeless booth that I'm running, and uh, and you take the quiz and you score libertarian, and I say, congratulations, did you know you were a libertarian? And you might say... Um, yes. Oh yeah, well, say yes or no? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Either way, I usually will ask, well, do you know what libertarianism is all about? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, can you tell me a little bit about what, it, uh, what it's all about? And then the silence comes. Well, People do not understand, and they don't know. They may have heard the term, and that might be what this is um, actually more accurate about, is who's heard the term before. But some of these people that are saying they understand what libertarianism is probably think it means liberal. 
Yeah. Was on the way. You take control of the airwaves. Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and we're kicking off Hour 2 of the Thursday edition. You can take control of the airwaves, bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. You can also join us online at freetalklive.com. You'll find that all of the features on the freetalklive.com website are completely free. Unlike those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for access to their site. So head over to freetalklive.com. And enjoy it. As we go to the phones to the fun, let's talk to Matt in Israel. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Yeah, hi guys, how are you doing? Hey, hey Matt, doing great. What's on your mind? Yeah, you were talking Monday and Tuesday about persuading liberals. Well, um, I have a confession. I was a liberal. <laughs> I, had to, I, was, I was pretty socialist, too, myself. You know, I believed in welfare, Medicare, the whole thing, the whole package, and Actually, you guys are part of the reason that I, I switched to a liberty-minded approach. What uh, what was it that persuaded you? Um, it was a number of things, but basically, yeah, you were talking about you know approaching. I still really care about helping. Uh, you know, it's all about helping people and basically, you know, helping the weaker, helping the poor. That that's I mean that's your main that's your key concern when you're a liberal and. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sooner or later you get to a realization that basically free market and freedom and no government to back anybody up, that's the fairest, that's the fairest situation you can get. Yeah, it absolutely I mean, is. I mean, the, the best way to help the poor is to free them from the constraints of the government, to free them exactly, from government because, regulation, to free them from government exactly, taxation. Because every time you create, you know, uh, an, uh, every time you, you have some element of force, centralized force, someone's going to use it in bad ways. And that's it's something that's true. hard to get. I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're a liberal and you talk to, you know, when you have uh, social conventions and all that, and you talk about welfare and everything, you don't really understand that somewhere along the line it's going to go bad. Something's going to happen, and it's going to spoil up because it's a bureaucratic system. Right. It's complicated. It's overloaded. Well, plus, even even so, I mean, even from the very beginning, um, when things are going well, it's still funded by force. Yeah, and that's a problem, too. But plus, another factor on... Go ahead. You don't see the force element because you're thinking, you know, you're you're seeing the good cause at the end. Yeah. So, yeah, the, and the government yeah. is great about, um, for instance, if you look at uh, President Bush or Clinton, if you look at some of their recent State of the Union addresses, in a lot of the cases they'll they'll find somebody in the crowd, have them stand up and point them out as a beneficiary of the government. They'll say, and here's <laughs> Mrs. Smith. She has been uh, on government welfare for the past year, and hers is a they success story. They They're great about pointing too. out the success stories, but mm-hmm. what they never point out, of course, is the uh, thousand people that were taxed or the hundred people that might have lost their jobs because of the tax increases or whatever the government, uh, <laughs> the carnage, essentially, that was created to help Mrs. Smith. They don't focus on that. Well, I, well, the, po- the point I was trying to get to is that I think it was Mark who said that usually there's no point even talking to liberals. You know, there's no point. You won't Did be he? able to, to convince them. No, I don't no, think no, I think that I was reading the article. 
um, where they and said that, that there was no point in talking to them because I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's so. I, I don't feel that way today, at least. If I said that the other day, I, I've certainly lots of crazy things have come out of my mouth, and um, <laughs> I can't totally well, deny it because my memory stinks. But um, I think. Uh, I think that actually working, uh, you know, trying to reach to the left is actually a very good idea. I mean, Ian, you were talking about algorithm a couple of days ago, and don't mm-hmm. remember. It. And you know, they call themselves left libertarians. You they know do. Why? Do I know why? Uh, I don't recall. They call themselves left libertarians because their approach was to join forces with the anti-corporate left wing. That that was their approach because I mean, if you look at corporation corporations, you know, and, and you know, as a tree-hugging lefty, you look at corporations an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you, as you discover, you know, that corporations are actually just another symptom of government, yes. mm-hmm. of, a, of an economy controlled by government, that really makes a whole difference. Yep. Absolutely. You, and it's really and, amazing but, when, the, uh, when liberals will call for more regulations, more rules to be placed on businesses. Right. Hey, they, I did it. I did it myself. You know, I did it. I demonstrated here myself even, you know, for more, for more regulations on business without even realizing, you know, but then eventually you realize, damn, I mean, corporations, they're just, they're just going to, you know, bribe someone or go above it. And it's the small businesses you want to support, you know. They're going to, they're going to be the ones buried under the whole regulation system. Right. Who would, have, who would have thought that Walmart, for instance, remember this story from earlier this year, who would have thought that the Walmart CEO, one of the high-end guys in Walmart, would come out and advocate a raise in the minimum wage? I mean, liberals were shocked when they heard this news. Of course, they were shocked and pleased. They like the idea of raising the minimum wage. In fact, you're going to see Democrats introducing that concept coming up in 2007, and Walmart is behind that. Well, the reason why is because Walmart can afford to pay above the minimum wage. They do pay above the minimum wage. Here in Keene, they start at $7.90 an hour at Walmart. Yeah, Um, they bury the competition. Exactly. The mom-and-pop businesses can't pay minimum, or they can't pay much above minimum wage, and so those are the businesses that are going to get taken out as a result of a raise in the minimum wage, not Walmart. let me tell you something. There was an election not just a while ago over here, and the minimum wage, that was a big topic. That was a huge topic. I mean, that basically the one party ran with it really strong, and then, you know, everybody needed to adopt a standard. It's so pathetic to watch it. I mean, the political system is so narrow-minded. It's always... It's always centered upon one issue and everything. And, sure, and if you're against and, the minimum wage, then you hate people. I mean, that, that's what the message is. If you're against sure, the minimum wage, right. you must hate poor people, which is not true. I know, I know. And the, the thing that bugs me the most is when you try to talk about rights, and in, I mean, in, I don't know, in the United States at least, you have discussions about it. In here, rights is not something you even discuss. Mm. I mean, if, if I try to say, well, by instituting the draft, you're oppressing me, I'm a traitor. Right. There's no there's no such thing as as rights there in Israel, huh? No, man. And I'm telling you what, I wanted to apply permit to get a handgun. I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's wrong that I need a permit anyway. But I wanted to get a permit, and apparently I can because I refuse to be in the army. Okay. And so, and I tell the people, I say the people, well, look, you know, I wanted to have a handgun, and the government won't let me. Why? Because it didn't serve the army. They said, well, that's a good thing. You weren't in the army. How can you be responsible with a weapon? You know. Oh goodness. Well, you know, that's the there's. They come here with. If it's you feel oppressed there in Israel, all you have to do is go to 
freestateproject.org. There you go. Yeah, that's I really that's the only chance. I mean, there are people worldwide uh, that are members of the Free State Project. I don't know if there are any other Israeli um, memberships. There may be a few. Yeah, uh, might be the first. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. There's a, there's a number of them in Europe. I think there's a few in Australia as well. Some of the uh, the old Baltic kind of Rus- former Russian states. Uh, some people signing mm-hmm. up from there. Um, but, uh, yeah. but but also one of my favorite contradictions uh, with liberals, for instance is if you yeah. are talking about how you want to get um, the government, when you're dealing with liberals and uh, as far as one of the things, with welfare, for instance, let's take this issue. If you advocate sure. for the end of government welfare and you say, well, look, the, the, and they'll say, well, what about the poor people? And you'll say, well, charities will help the poor people. Um, charities, people you know, voluntarily giving money, and the liberal will will shoot back and say, "Well, people are selfish; they're not going to give to charities." Exactly, and and let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. That that's what I realized. You know, the first the first reasons I became a liberal is because I'm also a, I'm a very humane person. It's very important to me, you know, to believe in in the goodness in in the nature of men and everything that. And then after a while, I realized, damn, being a liberal just spoils it because suddenly everybody is selfish. Everybody doesn't care about nothing, and that's that's not why I I came interested in politics in the first place. And I mean, then I realized that yes, charity, yes, a free market situation with no government. People, I believe now that people are, you know, essentially they're good. They're gonna want to help. Well, I see, mean, this is it. This is who... what this is the key issue, and this it, this really breaks down to liberals and conservatives and other people as well who don't identify by one of those labels. But a lot of people believe in their heart that people are bad. So that's the mindset that this liberal has. A liberal that comes back at you with, it, they come back at you with, well, your people aren't going to give to charity. Well, wait a minute, that must mean yeah, you but, think but people are bad by nature. And if you think yeah, people are they, bad by nature, then why on earth would you want to give them positions of power for them to be in seek of? Thank you for the call, Matt. We appreciate hearing from you. See, it's like if people are good by nature, then we don't need government. Because people are good by nature. If people are bad by nature, we definitely don't need government. Because then the bad people are going to try and get into government. And they are. More's on the way. Your show, you take control. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line. That's one 800 Two five nine ninety two thirty one. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free. And that does include live streams. So you got a broadband version to choose from and a dial-up version. Two sizes should fit virtually any Internet connection. In fact, we had a guy call in last night who said he was listening through his cell phone Internet connection to the dial-up. He said it worked great over that connection, which is just fantastic. So head over to freetalklive.com and enjoy all those features all completely free. Let one eight hundred flowers help celebrate the holidays with a beautiful, beautiful floral arrangement or centerpiece delivered same day, any day, and you won't even break the bank this year. They offer flowers and gifts from nineteen ninety nine. Mention code FTL and receive ten percent off your next order. Call, click, or come in. One eight hundred flowers dot com. Your florist of choice for the holidays and every day. That's one eight hundred flowers dot com. Code F. So I was looking at the Free State Project statistics as far as who has signed up from what country since we had uh, we had Matt on the line from Israel a moment ago. I just was curious. There are three people in Israel who have signed up for the Free State Project. Now, the most um, popular country as far as foreign countries outside of the United States for signups is the United Kingdom with 43 signups, uh, 22 in Sweden following the – oh, excuse me, I forgot Canada. They're 63 
Uh, 22 in Sweden. See, I would I would have taken taken Sweden only simply because I didn't think of Canada. France 17 signers. Uh, let's see, Brazil 11, Australia 12, and then the rest of them are all pretty much under. Uh, India's got 10. Everything else, every other country is beneath 10. So kind of interesting. People from all around the world, part of the Free State Project. People, can you imagine that commitment? I mean, you think it's a big deal for Free Talk Live to move from Florida to New Hampshire, a 1,500 mile trip. Imagine moving from Romania. Qatar, <laughs> Poland, these people signing up in all these countries, Nigeria even. Anybody in Liechtenstein? Uh, Liechtenstein. Doesn't seem likely. Negative. <laughs> not, nobody in Liechtenstein. Not, not a very big place. Uh, one person in Hong Kong, 800-259-9231. Hmm. One person in Hong Kong deciding to leave the most economically free place yeah, to go fight for freedom. Sick of the oppression. <laughs> all right, we're going to the phones. David in Delaware, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, David. Hey. Hey, what's on your um, mind? Well, I, it seems like the Libertarian Party could use some better marketing. What do you mean by that? Well, people don't seem to know what the name means. They don't know what, what a Libertarian stands for. Well, I mean, are you shocked? Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I just think it's a shame. It is, but marketing costs money, and the Libertarian Party doesn't exactly have a lot of money either. That's true. You know what? When you're trying to sell a product, though, there's one thing that is really important, and that's what you name your product. Okay. Right? Right. So, we chose to name the party the Libertarian Party. And you think and that was a mistake? Of, it might have been a, mis, a big mistake because a lot of people hear that and they either – it doesn't me, immediately mean anything to them. Like you can hear you can hear a word and say you know, know nothing about it. If you pick the right word, people know what it means. That's it's a good right. point. And, you know, and at one time, Republican and Democrat meant something. So I think that you know people of their you know if somebody if you ask somebody what a Democrat meant at maybe at one point in history they might be able to tell you that they uh you know they're they're for the people um, they want uh, every vote to count they want non landowners to have votes too you know things like that um, democratic decision on uh, issues whereas a Republican would be you know less for that and more for a republic um, you know the way things sort of are now I I don't know I mean libertarian it well, it's something it that describes the, the party better. N- not really. Um, not not to somebody who's brand new. And I, I sort of agree uh, with you, David. And when I was a newer libertarian, I thought, well, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with libertarian as a word. But wouldn't it make more sense if it was the Liberty Party or the Freedom Party? Yeah. Liberty sounds like a, an improvement by itself. Yeah, I ran for a state representative in my state under the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. And people, they really, they either had a bad association with the word they they weren't they weren't quite sure why but they just didn't like it. They they got some bad image about the party in their head. Well, a lot of people believe it's liberal. A right. lot of people it sounds like liberal. Right. Yeah, and I, I probably would have done a lot better if I'd run as Democrat, for example. <laughs> you may very well have. Now, Mark, did you have some st- some more statistics from that Gallup? You know, poll? just to back up what what he just said. Um, for those that uh, were in categories liberal, moderate, or conservative. People who ident- self-identified as Self-identified. That? Then they were asked to pick another category to self-identify with. Um, conservatives picked libertarian 9% of the time. Hmm. Moderates picked libertarian 10% of the time. Okay. And liberals progressive picked it 15% of the time. Interesting. So the, I would say that you know over nine, you're talking more than a 50% increase from conservative to liberal. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, a li- that to back up what's being said here is all of these people are confused as to what a libertarian is. Sure. But all of them here are liberal, and all of them identify, um, you know, uh, libertarian as liberal. And consequently, um, you know, you have a, a more than 50% increase in the liberal 
identifying as libertarian category. But so, David, uh, I mean, we all sort of are agreeing that the term libertarian is problematic. And right. I think the Libertarian Party, I remember seeing it in the Libertarian Party news a few years ago. There was a question that they said, well, should we change the name of the party? And, of course, a lot of people wrote in saying, yes, we should, and made some of the similar suggestions we had. But nothing ever came of it. Um, do, you ever, do you feel like anything is going to change with the name of the party? Or is it just going to be a, a point of contention, a point of debate for the next 20 years, and nothing's going to happen? Um, I don't think you're going to see a, a national change of the party name, but what you might be able to do is get one or two states to pick a name that might work for marketing purposes mm -hmm. and see if it's successful. I think that's probably a good idea. You can't expect the change to happen at a national level, but for instance, I know the New Hampshire Libertarian Party has essentially rebuffed the uh, the national party. I guess there's some sort of funding issue or something like that where they basically said, look, we don't want your money. We're going to do our own thing. Now, to be fair, the New Hampshire Libertarian Party is just as dismal as the rest of the Libertarian parties across the country. Some of them are doing better than others. I think the Indiana party is uh, is pretty strong. They're, they're actually doing fairly well. Uh, but really, I, I agree with you. Let's, let's create a, another party or something like that, maybe a competing party. I mean, at this point, would it really hurt so much? to have a secondary competing pro-liberty party out there? Um, I, I don't think I'd want to compete. I would just try to make it like a sub-party. So it's officially, it's part of it. But just for marketing purposes, you change what you put on the ballot. You, just, you know, you change what you put on the ballot, change what you you call yourself in that state. So you could, you could even throw the name of the state in for your party, so it would sound really good to the people in that state. Of course, then again, uh, we've seen in the, past, in the past election one candidate who is a libertarian, ran as a Democrat, and won. So really, the, I guess another question is, should we even bother running as libertarians anymore? Yeah, well, the thing is, you have to spend quite a bit of money to get nominated by one of the major parties. And he didn't have to spend quite a bit of money. Here in New Hampshire, and libertarians have spent quite a bit of money to get elected and still not done very well. Right, libertarians spend quite a bit of money to get on the ballot, uh, get petitions signed. This is New Hampshire. I mean, the size of the districts that you're running for for state house are very, very small. You're talking maybe 3,000 people in a district. Uh, that, yeah, that's that, good there. Yeah, yeah we, so. have, we have to spend like $1,000 just to get the nomination. Right. Yeah. I mean, $1,000 is going to buy you some flyers, some uh, some yard signs. Here in New Hampshire, if we had had the $400,000 that Michael Badnarik had, we could have elected several people. So. Really? It's uh, all in good time. Well, hopefully we'll figure something out, and I hope somebody takes the initiative on this and does something differently. Because if you're doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results, that's isn't that called insanity, Mark? Well, that's uh, it's the popular definition of insanity. David, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. So do something different. If what you're doing isn't working, and you try it again, and it still doesn't work, maybe it's time to consider a different approach. Which is one of the reasons why uh, the Free Stater won this year, because he did something differently. And it worked. 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves. Matt's coming up in Illinois. He's got a cop story for us. Your calls as well about anything. It is your show, Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's right. You bring up whatever you want. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Once again, that number, the Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free, and that does include the listener map. We've got people from all around the world, over 1,700 of our listeners 
that have added themselves to said listener map, and you can as well. Head over to map.freetalklive.com to be a part of it, or just to scroll around and see who might else be listening to Free Talk Live. Map.freetalklive.com. Hey, get registered now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, attaining economic and personal freedoms in America's freest state. This three-day event, February 23rd through the 25th, will be held convention-style in historic Concord, with some of the place, uh, some of the program taking place in the state house. Register now at freestateproject.org/slash. Liberty Forum. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum as we go to the phones to Matt in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hi, Matt. You're on the air. What's on your mind? Oh, um, I just wanted to relate a story to you. Uh, it happened to me about 22 years ago mm-hmm. uh, when I was in college at the University of Illinois. I was delivering pizzas uh, to get to college, to work to college. Good for you. And we actually delivered uh, to to the uh, they had uh, a housing project down there, and we actually delivered to it. We were like the only pizza place delivered to it. Okay. One day I go out there and uh, I find the apartment that I'm supposed to go to, and I knock on the door, and nobody's home. And suddenly this guy come up from behind me, and he labels me in the mouth. He hits me, oh, bam, no. square in the mouth, spins me around, and takes my pizza. Oh, jeez. I was waiting for him to try to rob me, and he didn't produce a knife or a gun or anything, but he just kind of stared at me for a couple of seconds. And he takes off with his pizza, and his girlfriend was with, was with him, and she takes off behind him. And I, I look down, and I look, and there's blood all over my shirt. My, uh. my shirt is soaked in blood. Blood is dripping down in my shoes. I got a big hole in my mouth. Uh. So I'm sitting there um, you know, wondering what the hell to do. Sure. And this this woman opened her door across the way, and she sees me, and she gives me some uh, some paper towels, and I says, "Do you have a phone? Can I use your phone? Call the police." And she says, "Well, they turned off my phone, so she didn't have a phone." Mm-hmm. So I, I wiped myself off, and I got into my car, and I started driving to the hospital, and I see a cop coming up the opposite way, and I stopped my car, and I honked it, and I got out, and I run up to the cop car, and he stops, and he looks at me, and I tell him what happens, and I'm standing there bleeding all over, and he looks at me, and he goes, well, you know, i got a prisoner I'm transporting. Uh, I can't really do nothing about it right now, but you go to the hospital, and I'll send somebody down there. Mm-hmm. So I go to the hospital, get stitched up, and they send this uh, woman cop down there, and she asks me a bunch of questions, and I tell her what happened, and it just seemed like nothing ever got done. It seems like they didn't really care. Why do you think that and, is? I, I really don't know. I you know I I don't know why they didn't why it seems like they didn't care, but it just it seemed like that. I wonder how many Americans feel like you know their police don't care about them. I wonder just how many of the public that have dealt with um, that entrust you know that that entrust them to uh, protect and serve them just don't think they care much. I don't know, maybe they get jaded. Maybe after so many years, you know the. The cops get jaded. Maybe when they're rookies, they're in there and they think they're going to do something good. And then after a while, they they just see the world as it is or as it appears to be, and they get cynical. I don't know. I'm not sure either. Um, I mean, maybe they look at it as, oh, it's a $10 pizza. But it wasn't just that. It was My lip. your lip. It was your mm. uh, your pride. You know, you got uh, you were robbed. I mean, that's that's a big deal. But the, the cops don't. I mean, really, why, uh, let's, it goes back to what we were saying in hour number one. Where's their incentive to care? They're going to get paid whether or not they take the report. They're going to get paid whether or not they follow up. And they're going to get paid whether or not they catch the crooks. 
and, and well, and it seemed to me at the time, I didn't think about it much at the time. I was thinking about it because of the story of this poor woman. And, um, you know, they came and they showed me a bunch of pictures. I, they, uh, of about a thousand mug shots. Of course, I couldn't identify any. Sure, it was probably dark. Um, it wasn't dark. It's just, I, you know, it's, they robbed you in pure daylight. Well, it was in a, it was in a, a hallway. The hallway was was it was dimly lit, but gotcha. I suppose it was a little darker. But um, you know, it's just what could be done. I right. don't know that anything could necessarily be done. It's got to be, still, cr- um, you know, just nuts to look through a book of a thousand, ten thousand pictures. I don't know how many known right. assailants. And and this was in a college. You were you were delivering to a college. No, no, no. It was, it was actually yeah, in town in, okay. in the sh- town of Champaign. Well, it, it was an tell- area of town where no other pizza delivery place would deliver. This was a oh. very bad part of town. I got the impression right. that it was a, a college Dude. campus, and the guy just took the pizza. He didn't take his money. Right. Which, and Andy stood there and looked at him, which says to me that this was a guy who um, has never done this before. And wasn't really trying to rob you as much as he just wanted the pizza, and he thought he'd, well, I don't know, I'll hit him and take his pizza. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was a very spur-of-the-moment crime, and then he was just shocked by what he saw with the blood running down your face. Maybe. I mean, that's that's just what I see. I see. Yeah, I well, wonder how... The, where, you said it was Champaign, Illinois? Is that where it was? Yes, Champaign, now, Illinois. Now, Illinois, as we understand it, is one of the most restrictive states when it comes to gun rights, when it comes to your supposed right to be able to bear arms. You really don't have that right in the state of Illinois. Now, can you imagine how different... The situation might be there if, for instance, you were allowed to, say, carry a weapon and your pizza delivery guys, uh, the entire pizza company, was armed. And uh, the, the, you, you think the criminals would find that out? You think the criminals might be a little uh, more choosy about who they rob? Maybe they'd leave that particular pizza company alone? Whoa, <laughs> you don't want to go against Domino's. They're armed. Do you think that would have made a difference? Actually, it was Domino's. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was Domino's pizza. That's who I worked for. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure that probably would have made a difference. I think they would have known if we were uh, if we were packing. I don't think the guy would have uh, wanted to take that chance. Yeah, you know, he at the very knows. least, in that circumstance, you it's a it's a higher level of commitment. I mean, I'm um, God hopes this doesn't happen, but you know, if you're carrying a gun, he knows he has to come with a gun or better in order to get your pizza. So he's going to shoot you for your pizza rather than hit you in the mouth for it, which that raises course, the stakes. It quite raises a bit. the stakes a great deal. I mean, now instead of just, you know, hitting a guy, he's killed him mm-hmm. over a and, pizza, over a pizza. Right. And since I was standing with my with my back to him when he hit me and I didn't even know he was there, it took me totally by surprise. Oh, right. He would have been able to get a shot off in my head before I he could sure have done anything about it. Sure would have, but, but at the at the so, same time, I mean, it would that. have it would have required the guy to be um, very serious about taking your pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, we're glad you made it out alive, Matt. Any other thoughts for us? No, that was just it. I just, you know, the the whole uh, like I said, there was a poor woman that got raped, and they didn't take her seriously. And nope. it, it seems like they didn't take me seriously at that sure. point in time. Why bother? I'm, Who cares? I mean, they, the only time they take a, a crime really seriously. Is when it's one of those murders of a, somebody's family, and it makes it you know hits the news, and so then they have to take it seriously. But something like right. you, your story, very rare that, that that story is going to hit the news. Though some pizza pizza dudes getting robbed have have hit the news in the past. Um, but really, when you've got that sort of emotional tie, uh, where the community is going to be behind it, then they'll get behind it. And the 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 situation where you can definitely count on the cops to be Johnny on the spot. 
is when, of course, another cop gets killed or hurt. Then they investigate like there's no tomorrow. Those cops will be working overtime, 24-hour shifts, investigating who the murderer was and going after them. So, yeah, if you kill a cop or rob a cop, you better believe you're going to get investigated. But other people, they just tend to shrug them off, and it's really sad. Thank you for the call. We appreciate hearing from you at 800-259-9231. Am I right about that, Mark? Who gets the most, uh, I guess, who gets the most in uh, importance placed upon their crime investigation. You know, the the fact that the, I was thinking as you were saying that the fact that they even have a term like a big case shows that there's small cases there's a priority. Yeah, there, there's a, there's room for priority and if the police you know, were being funded on a voluntary basis, can you imagine how it would change this problem? If the police were getting paid based mm-hmm. upon performance Getting paid based upon customers deciding that they wanted the, to use their services in that if they were bad with customers, if their customer service stunk, if people weren't satisfied, then they wouldn't get as many customers anymore and their business would be hurt, just like every other business in the world. But no, they're a bureaucracy. They get funded whether or not they perform. And that's wrong. More on the way. Your show, Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. The Packet8.net toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231 for all your voice over IP needs. Packet8.net. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features there. They're completely free. Those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for access to their websites. Well, we give away more than they charge for. At freetalklive.com. All the features you'll find there, completely free. And one way you can help support the show, if you like the fact that we give away those features, is by buying some stuff. There's two places. One, the Free Talk Live store. At store.freetalklive.com, you'll get DVD classic archive sets, the Free Marketeer flag. We've got Free Talk Live branded merchandise, like shirts, a a couple different shirts. There's a variety of hats there available as well. Very high-quality merchandise. This isn't crap. You're going to be very, I think you're going to be very pleased with this merchandise. I'm pleased with mine. I'm, I was shocked. I mean, I, I was told it was going to be good. And I was sort of, well, yeah, we'll see about this. But really, it is nice. Store.freetalklive.com to place your order for Free Talk Live stuff. That's store.freetalklive.com. And don't forget to do the rest of your shopping at amazon.freetalklive.com for everything you might need to buy in life. Everything from, you know, pills to pop, you know, like uh, uh, something for your bathroom cabinet. They sell that stuff at Amazon. So they sell everything from little stuff all the way up to furniture, big electronic devices, all for sale there at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, including their grocery store. 35 categories of products, great prices, great free super saver shipping deals on many of their products. And the best part is, when you shop at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, a percentage of the sale goes to benefit Free Talk Live. So, Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. To the email box from Nicholas. He says, since we were talking about cops a moment ago, I figured this was uh, appropriate. He says, after listening to Jim on Saturday Night's show, I'm sickened. I'm a responsible drug user. I smoke cigarettes on weekends when I have a few beers with friends. I don't smoke or drink to excess. I used to smoke marijuana once every few weeks until I got arrested. When I did get arrested, they attempted to help me. They helped me into the back of a police car. (laughs) They then helped me into a courtroom. They helped me into a drug counseling clinic, and they helped me out of hundreds of my hard-earned dollars. Well, that helps you learn a lesson. 
The drug counseling cl- uh, clinic was a sad excuse for a support group, and I have no reason to believe that my experience there was in any way unique. The counselor was an ex-drug user who basically told the group that they weren't responsible for their actions. In fact, this is part of the 12-step program. According to Penn & Teller's excellent television show, BS, they did an entire half hour about 12-step programs. And one of the tenets, as I understood it, of the 12-step program is that, I just wasn't in control of myself. It was the chemicals that was controlling me. I don't have responsibility. Well, how come the 12-step program's successful? It's not. Okay. Well, it's more successful than a lot of programs no, out there. No, you are believing the hype, my friend. Have really? you seen the episode? I haven't seen that episode. Okay. No. The, this, there, as I recall, the success level of a 12-step program is no better than quitting cold turkey. Hmm. So go and do the research. There's a lot of hype around 12-step. As you might imagine, it's kind of like the government's golden boy program. You know, when you get in trouble, you go to a 12-step. Well, um, I think that's a problem because uh, one of the tenets is that the only requirement for um, you know, membership in the 12-step program is the, is the desire to stop using. When the government mandates that you go, <laughs> you don't qualify for membership and shouldn't be there. And, of course, there's the whole Jesus component, which is another problem. I'm in my not mind. so sure that it's entirely Jesus-oriented. It yeah. just says that it, you, no, you it need just to watch says, that episode. Well, you know, some groups are going to be more Jesus-oriented than others. I've been to plenty of 12-step programs, and I've got to say that I, I, I don't see that. The counselor was an ex-drug user who basically told the group they weren't responsible for their actions and then asked them to tell their sad stories without ever having to take any responsibility for their actions because drug use and alcoholism is a sickness. I tried very hard not to get in the way of his teachings and remained quite quiet for much of the time. And But when he would directly ask me questions like, did I drink or use drugs when I was alone, angry, sad, anxious, or just to forget life, I had to tell him, no, I drank for fun Yeah. with friends. I smoked pot with friends, too, for fun when we had the spare time. I don't think he ever believed me. But after a few weeks, he Well, just... it's not his job to believe you. He's a, count... He's a drug counselor. He's supposed to believe that you have a big problem. After a few weeks, he decided I no longer needed his help. He was supposed to write a letter to the court saying that I had finished, but I should have known that I shouldn't trust this poor man with any responsibilities, since he can't trust himself. I found out about a year later that there was a warrant out for my arrest, because he hadn't written his letter. Oh, when uh, I had to spend a night in jail for trespassing. Did I bl- uh, do I blame any drugs for this? No. Do I blame myself? Yes. Do I blame silly drug prohibition for this? Absolutely. And did the prohibitions help me in any way? Mm, no. I just now drink on the few occasions when I would have smoked marijuana. And I don't care if you read my name. It's all public record. And then he goes on to uh, to give his name, which I won't bother doing. But thank you for the call, Nicholas Record. 800-259-9231. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just dead wrong is what that is. One eight, or that wasn't a call. It was an email. 1-800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free lines. You know, Mark, last night we were talking about the Michael Badnarik campaign towards the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we sort of ran out of time. We sort of threw it in at the last moment. We didn't really get a chance to, to talk about it as much as I might have liked to. Really? And, I've, okay. and, and also having the chance to reflect on some of the things you've said 
and read some posts over at Third Party uh, Third Party Watch, I believe it is. There's an article posted about it there where all of these sort of hammeroftruth.com regulars have come to since hammerofTruth.com is sort of non-existent at the moment. Anyway, so they were tra- a lot of people were trashing on Alan Hacker, the Badnarik campaign manager, the guy who wrote an email, just a recap. He wrote an email uh, yesterday or the day before begging people for more cash after he bilked them out of $400,000. He wasn't begging. He was uh, basically uh, pointing out what a great idea it would be to donate to the campaign that's already lost mm-hmm. and that uh, Michael Badnarik is on the hook for something like $65,000 um, already due to, I guess... Mr. Hacker's poor management. That's all I can guess. Yes. That's all I can guess. Um, if somebody can tell me different, I would love to hear it. But um, Well, we'd love to know exactly how poorly the campaign was managed, I would really but Mr. Like Hacker that. refuses to open the books. Well, and and that's sort of the uh, the last thing is if you uh, if you guys donate 65000 he's off the hook. If you donate 200000 I get paid. Yeah. Great. Well, he's been getting paid. He just gets paid the rest of what he is supposedly owed. And so this guy sent out this long, rambling email about how we're all supposed to feel sorry for them because they spent more than they earned, because they spent more than they had coming in to the tune of, as you said, $65,000 plus. Well, if if he spent all his money on fundraising and he got a percentage of fundraising, that only makes sense. That's what he was motivated to do. Um, He he wasn't really motivated to win. Mm -hmm. He wasn't motivated, um, or maybe he didn't think he could. He wasn't motivated to place advertising with the money. He was getting paid on salary. He was getting, he was getting five thousand dollars a month. So he got, imagine five thousand dollars a month for oh, a campaign I, managing. Day? I don't know. Um, I don't know, but it seems to me that five thousand. You'd have to pay me five thousand dollars a month to manage your campaign. Is that full right? Time. Yeah. Well, I've managed campaigns for free. Well, full time. I don't know about that, but I mean full time. You can. I mean, he was running for the House of Representatives. How about thirty thousand dollars? I mean, really, it seems like he was charging an awful lot for that. I don't think so. Fielding phone calls and uh, making a few buys of. Look, I mean, billboards. It, it, you know, I mean, really, the guy we don't a, know what he did. He's a successful consultant. I don't know anything. Um, what all he won't I'm, tell. I'm only thing I'm telling you is that five thousand dollars a month is not a lot. I mean, as, I, well, you know, I was getting paid that before I came work to work for Free Talk Live. Anyway, so I had a few other thoughts. Now I get paid crap. Uh, <laughs> I had a few other thoughts. <laughs> I, uh, he brags in the email about how he's this business consultant and he consults with multi-million dollar businesses. In fact, on the Third Party Watch page, he brags about how he's put together million, multi-million dollar businesses himself, and that he's, it's no big deal for him to put together these big operations. Well, if that's the case, and you're so talented, Mr. Hacker, why don't you own up to your mistakes as a miserable campaign manager and fish in your pockets and pay off the debt personally? Why don't you do the right thing? You're the one that screwed it up. You're the one that spent too much, mm. so you should be the one who's responsible for paying it off, not Michael Badnarik. He wasn't the one handling the cash. Anyway, also, based on another Libertarian's post at Third Party Watch, Thomas Knapp, he pointed out that his wife essentially has said at this point, because you had said this, this is going to hurt the Libertarian Party, and I blew it off. Now, Thomas Knapp's kind of a um, big-name Libertarian amongst the Libertarian circles, and he says his wife, who controls the pocketbook, in his household, is yeah, that thing? Okay. has essentially said no more contribu- uh, contributions to libertarian campaigns after this. Mm. So I think you actually may have been onto something, Mark, in that you know this may have some ramifications. This may hurt other libertarian campaigns. It did hurt other libertarian campaigns in 2006 because they took a lot of campaign contributions from people that normally would have contributed to their local campaigns, but didn't because they thought Bednarik had a chance at winning. 
now's the time for the Libertarian Party to change their name to the Freedom Party. This yeah. is a great time to rebrand. Great time to rebrand, and if you're worried about people spending your money in poor ways, a great time to look at the Free Talk Live AMP program at amp.freetalklive.com. More's on the way. Hour 3 coming up. You take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Is global warming for real? We'll check it out coming up. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. The show is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 3, Thursday edition. Your show. You take control. Bring up anything. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is the packet8.net toll free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. And, of course, you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free. Do you have a child in your life, be they son, daughter, or sibling? Give them financial literacy for Christmas. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton teaches a child the basics of finance, money management, and real estate investment. It's a great stocking stuffer and will be shipped to you by Christmas. Check out A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich right now at akidsjourney.com. That's akidsjourney.com. As we go to the phones, to the fun to start things off here, let's go to Brett in Iowa. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, what's on your mind? Uh, Well, I wanted to call in again tonight and try to talk about uh, Jesus Camp, the movie. Um, but first, real quick, I have another kind of short thing to begin with. Uh, I went downtown today. I dread going downtown because of all the government down there. Mm. Um, and they, I, I was just uh, at the record store. Um, I was going to meet my girlfriend for dinner uh, as I was leaving. And basically, as I left, there, you know, it's all parallel parking downtown. Right. There was a cop parked directly to the left of me, and there was a car directly in front of me and behind me. So you were you, the, the the curb was to the right of you, and so you were boxed in. The cop double correct. Double I, was, parked I on was completely boxed in, and it was absolutely unnecessary because in front of the car that was in front of me and behind the car that was behind me were completely open parking spots. Hmm. But for some reason, this cop, you know, going on his mission, he I don't, I don't know, he got called down there for something because his lights were going, and I heard the siren on as he passed. But you know, he just for some reason decided to park right there, so I couldn't get out. So I'm waiting in my car for about 10 minutes because what, I mean, really, what can you do? You can't sure. do anything. Waiting in my car for about 10 minutes. Uh, the cop comes out of the building and he goes, oh, uh, am I in your way? And I politely no. said, yeah, could you please move your car? I really need to leave. And he goes, oh, yeah, hang on just a minute. And then he walks back into the building for about five minutes and then finally comes out and moves his car. Thinking, what an idiot! I mean, that's, I don't really have much. That's the end of the story. What was? I mean, really, I'm I'm curious about why he was there in the first place. I'm I'm just shocked he didn't no walk idea. out with a box of donuts in his hands or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. I mean, he was probably just doing some bureaucratic work. I don't right. know, but anyway. And he's know. a cop, so he gets to park wherever he wants. Isn't that nice? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it was in the middle of a lane. He was completely blocking the yep. entire right lane. I hate so. it when they do that, and they, I don't see it around here a lot, uh, but I just don't get out a lot, so that's probably why. But I used to see it a lot down in Florida is when the police will just th- – there's a two-lane road, and they'll pull somebody over in the the right lane blocking right. 50% of the road when they, they could have everybody. gone 50 feet down the road and turned into a parking lot and done their little ticketing business there. But, oh, no, they're here to protect and serve right there in the middle of the road. And, you know, in, in a lot of places there's a law against, um, you know, 
if if you have two lanes, um, there's a law against being in the lane closest to the cop when they're giving out tickets there on the side of the road. <laughs> I mean, that that's obstructing traffic. Yep. Man, it seems so crazy to me. Why don't they just pull over into parking lots so everybody's safer? How I many don't cops understand. have been killed out there on the road? There's that? been a few yep. that have been injured for sure. Exactly. So Jesus Camp. Jesus Camp. Uh, I watched this movie last night, and for people who aren't familiar with it, it's basically a documentary um, that follows some evangelical Christians. Um, basically, the movie kind of takes place in a uh, suburb of Kansas City um, and then goes up to, I believe it was North Dakota, where they uh, hold this Jesus Camp. I don't know what the actual name of it is, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I really don't even know what to take from it. I mean, when I was watching it, as the movie kind of went on, I was getting sick to my stomach. I Why? Mean, it's, it's that bad. It was... The the indoctrination of these kids reminded me of, of those old World War II videos that you see of, of school children in Nazi Germany. I mean, it was there was a point in the movie where the woman uh, who was doing the preaching or whatever she does, the room is filled with, you know, these 10-year-old kids. And she goes, how many of you would be willing to give up your lives for God? And these kids just ecstatically raised their hand and started screaming, yes, I would. And I was just... I don't know, man. I can't believe it. I well, why would it, it I, I looks mean, pretty you know, scary right. to me? The the preview looked really frightening. I mean, you're basically bearing out what I expected. It's essentially just a, a a movie that documents the indoctrination of these young Christian children and just shows how heavy duty they lay it on these kids well, and that they just, you know, that's how they are expected to respond and that is how they will respond in that particular case. All kids case. are indoctrinated with whatever they're indoctrinated with. Um, I'd like to indoctrinate them uh, to think critically about the things that they're told. Well, that seems like a good thing to indoctrinate I, I would, I kids would concur, with. But uh, many people want them raised in whatever fashion. To be good little um, Christian soldiers who will mm-hmm. die for Jesus, whatever that yep. means. Which of course exactly. means if George Bush says it, that must mean you're dying for Jesus, right? Weren't they worshiping oh, that, a picture of George Bush or something at one point? That reminds me of that. Yes, that part in the movie they had a like life-size, you know, those cardboard statues that you can get mm-hmm. a life-size statue of George Bush. And these kids flocked to this thing, and they were putting their hands on it and praying and started crying and speaking in tongue. It was just the most bizarre thing. Isn't that false idolatry? Isn't that a violation of Christianity? Uh, They have so many freaking rules that contradict themselves. I don't even know. But I I will say – the one thing I will say is the the film did a very good job at being neutral about the entire thing. I mean they didn't didn't sway you to think one way or the other, but after – you know, through watching it, you realize just how ridiculous it all is. Ah, but you have to understand that if you were to sit a, Christ, a Christian evangelical down to watch that movie, they would be all—they uh, would be very pleased with that film. They wouldn't think oh, yeah. it's ridiculous at all. They would think this is wonderful. This is great. Yeah. Oh, we're so happy this film has gotten out there. So it's like you know, it's in the eye of the beholder as far as what the meaning of the film was. Yep. And the funny part was they had a uh, Ted Haggard in there. Who, <laughs> I guess I, the film was uh, actually filmed before that whole scandal broke out. And uh, it was funny. One of the kids went up to meet him because he was preaching at one of his mega churches, and it, it was just seemed like he was all into this little kid. He was like, "Oh yeah, that's a nice name. I like your name." I just I cracked me yeah. up. But yeah, you anyway, don't want to know what I had to say. You wonder what was going through his mind at the time. Thanks for the call, Brett. We appreciate it. You're looking confused, Mark. Ted Haggard was the evangelical. Christian leader oh, who recently right. was discovered to be a gay man mm. who enjoys a little meth from time to time. You know, I, I forget you forget these news stories. Just so many names come and go. Let's go to Charlie in New Mexico. You're on the amplifier line, Charlie. Hello. 
Hey, I've got a uh, short story about cops and red light cameras. All right. Uh, this is from the Associated Press, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Cameras at intersections here have caught 29 police cars speeding or running red lights last <laughs> month. A preliminary investigation found that the officers were not responding to emergency calls, a police huh? spokesman said. Imagine and, that. Uh, but the good part of all this is the officers car will caught will be caught and uh, they'll be fined. Really? They're actually yeah. going to make the police officers pay for breaking the law? Yeah, I was shocked. Wow, that is pretty amazing. How amazing. about that, Mark? Those red light cameras are good for something after all. In police cars or in their own cars? In huh? police cars. Actually, oh. uh, one of my wife's co-workers' husband is a cop who uh, got busted with this. So. <laughs> That's yeah. excellent. Thanks for the news, man. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. Huh. A ticket in a police car. Yeah. That baffles me. Wait, what baffles you? That they would give a ticket to a police officer in a police Somebody car. must have caught him. I mean, somebody on the inside must have released the news to a news agency or something like that. You'd think normally they would have shut that one down and kept it quiet. Yeah. I wonder what happened behind the scenes with that. 800-259-9231. I bet so you most towns aren't doing that. It confirms what so many people have thought about the police, and that is that when they want to speed, they flip on the overheads, and they put the pedal to the metal. It doesn't matter if there's a call. It doesn't matter if they're actually going somewhere that they need to be a first responder to. Who's going to check on it? Well, apparently somebody finally did. You take control of the airways. Toll free. 800-259-9231. Coming, uh, coming up, global warming. Now, this has been a uh, controversial topic from day one. And this, there are people that are, are claiming up and down that... There's no more debate. It's over. This is it. There is global warming, and here are the facts. Well, what about the facts? In fact, the Telegraph from the United Kingdom has uh, Christopher Mockton. I guess he's some sort of a scientist guy. He appears to have credibility. Talking about why it is that, well, the facts have apparently been a little bit manipulated Okay. when it comes to this whole global warming thing. We'll explore. 800-259-9231. 800-259-9231. You bring up whatever's on your mind. And as it turns out, as you'll find out here, they've sort of just conveniently left out information that might have been interesting to this whole global warming picture. What portion did they leave out? Let's just say it happened in the Middle Ages. We'll find out what that means. Coming up, this is your show. You take control. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves. Bring up anything. 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. The Shrine of Female listeners await you. There's over uh, several dozen ladies there with their validated photo. Women who have taken the time to send us a picture that proves that they listen to the show. You can see what I mean by going to shrine.freetalklive.com. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's First 1,000 Pledge. Are you just going to talk about freedom, or are you going to start living it now? Learn how the First 1,000 Pledge can make it happen today at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. Climate chaos, don't believe it, says The Telegraph. Christopher Moncton writing here. Last week, Gordon Brown and his chief economist both said global warming was the worst market failure ever. That loaded soundbite suggests that the climate change scare is less about saving the planet than in Jacques Chirac's chilling phrase, creating world government. This week and next, I'll reveal how politicians, scientists, and bureaucrats contrived a threat of biblical floods, droughts, 
plagues, and extinctions worthier of St. John the Divine than of science. Sir Nicholas Stern's report on the economics of climate change, which was published last week, says the debate is over. It isn't. There are more greenhouse gases in the air than there were, so the world should warm a bit, but that's as far as the consensus goes. After the recent hysteria, you may not find the truth easy to believe. So, he references all of his detailed calculations and references and a link that we're going to post this, this article at uh, the bulletin board system so you can see it for yourself. The Royal sounds Society... Sounds important, actually. It sounds like a, uh, you know, a, this guy may be debunking everything. Yeah, he's really done some research. The Royal Society says there's a worldwide scientific consensus. It brands apocalypse deniers as paid lackeys of coal and oil corporations. I declare my interest. I once took the taxpayer's shilling and advised Margaret Thatcher on scientific scams and stare, uh, scares. Alas, not a red cent from Exxon. In 1988, James Hansen, a climatologist, told the U.S. Congress that temperature would rise by 0.3 Celsius, 0.3 degrees Celsius. Which is not even a degree Fahrenheit. It's basically a degree Fahrenheit. By the end of the century. Now, this was back in 1988. That was the prediction. It actually rose 0.1 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. And that sea level would rise several feet, which it only rose an inch. The U.N. set up trans, a transnational bureaucracy called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. The U.K. taxpayer unwittingly... I'd like to get on that panel because it's just got to be some e- sweet, sweet e- cash. easy check. Yeah, the U.K. taxpayer unwittingly meets the entire cost of its scientific team, which in 2001 produced the Third Assessment Report, a Bible-length document presenting apocalyptic conclusions well beyond previous reports. So I will show, he says, this week I'll show how the U.N. undervalued the sun's effects on historical and contemporary climate slash the natural greenhouse effect, overstated the past century's temperature increase, repealed a fundamental law of physics, and tripled the man-made greenhouse effect. And then he tells what he's going to do next week, which isn't in this article, so I won't bother. So, to the scare, first, the U.N. implies that carbon dioxide ended the last four ice ages. It displays two 450,000-year graphs, a sawtooth curve of temperature and a sawtooth of airborne CO2 that's scaled to look similar. Now, usually, similar curves are superimposed upon one another for comparison. The U.N. didn't do that. If it had, the truth would have shown. The changes in temperature preceded the changes in CO2 levels. Mm. So everybody claims that an increase in CO2 is what's causing global warming, right? That's what's causing the Earth to get warmer. But if you take both graphs and overlay them upon one another... The warming produces more carbon dioxide. That's what the the, the real data shows. Mm. And the UN produced that data. They just kept them separate so they look... So nobody nobody would have thought to make that comparison. Inconvenient. It doesn't help them doesn't to help grow their, their worldwide government. Their bureaucracy, yes. Next, the UN abolished the medieval warm period. In It's the global warming at the end of the first millennium A.D. In 1995, David Deming, a geoscientist at the University of Oklahoma, had written an article reconstructing 150 years of North American temperatures from borehole data. He later wrote, quote, With the publication of the article in Science, I gained significant credibility in the community of scientists working on climate change. They thought I was one of them, someone who would pervert science in the service of social and political causes. Hmm. One of them let his guard down. A major person working in the area of climate change and global warming sent me an astonishing email that said, quote, We have to get rid of the medieval warm period. So they did. The UN's second assessment report in 1996 showed a 1,000-year graph 
demonstrating that temperature in the Middle Ages was warmer than it was today. Remember, this was in 1996, the second assessment report. Now, how do they know what the temperatures were in the Middle Ages? Does he ever go into that? He goes into it. It's got to be rocks, right? There are several uh, geological factors. Uh, He goes into one of them here in a moment. But the 2001 report contained a new graph. So, remember, 1996 showed that the Middle Ages was warmer than it was today. Right. But in 2001, five years later, all of a sudden, there's a new graph with no medieval warm period. Poof. It wrongly concluded that the 20th century was the warmest for a thousand years. Hmm. The graph looked like an ice hockey stick in that the wrongly flat AD uh, 1000 to 1900 temperature line was the shaft, the shaft of the stick, and then the uptick from 1900 to 2000 was the blade. So they made it look like, oh, nothing's really changing here for 900 years, and then all of a sudden in 100 years it just shot straight up, right? Or close to straight up. Yeah, it went so up. Here's how a they lot. here's how they did it. They gave one technique for reconstructing pre-thermometer temperature 390 times more weight than any other. See, they have different techniques, ah. and they didn't tell anybody that they gave it that much more weight. Now, the technique they overweighted was one which the UN's 1996 report had said was an unsafe method: measurement of tree rings from bristlecone pines. Tree rings are wider. In warmer years. But pine rings are also wider when there's more carbon dioxide in the air. It's plant food, after all. This carbon dioxide fertilization distorts the calculations. They said they had included 24 data sets going back to 1400. Well, without saying so, they left out the set showing the medieval warm period, tucking it into a folder marked Censored Data. They used a computer model to draw the graph from the data, but scientists later found that the model almost always drew hockey sticks, even if they fed in random electronic red noise. The entire thing was designed to make it look like all the warming happened in the last hundred or so years. Wow. Now, the large full-color hockey stick graph was the key graph in the UN's 2001 report, and the only one to appear six times. In fact, the Canadian government copied it to every household. Four years passed before a leading scientific journal would publish the truth about the graph. Now, do you think the UN or the Canadian government apologized? Heck no. No way. It's the same with the EPA study on uh, smoking. Yep. No apologies. Once the government puts out this contrived nonsense not only do they not apologize it retract or anything like that it pretty much becomes law anyway even though it's been they use it to make law yeah so even though it's been debunked the un not only did they not apologize but they still use the graph in today's publications even after it was exposed, scientific papers apparently confirming its, abol- uh, its abolition of the medieval warm period appeared. The U.S. Senate asked independent st- uh, statisticians to investigate. They found that the graph was meretricious and that known associates of the scientists who'd compiled it had written many, uh, many of the papers supporting its conclusion. So translation, the scientists that very dishonestly compiled this graph, uh, graph had friends... Who wrote articles that said, oh, yeah, that's right, right, that's right on. Oh, yeah, no problem here. Coming up more on global warming, and it's farce. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. (laughs) 
This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site are completely free, and that includes the bulletin board system. Over 140,000 posts await you, over 1,300 people interacting, fun stuff, serious issues. You'll find it all being discussed, and it's free. Again, at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Is there a little person that's important to you this Christmas? Give them financial literacy for Christmas. A Kid's Journey to, um, a kid's journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton shows kids how to grow up financially free, Save early and often, and how to develop passive income streams, the key to financial freedom. It's a great stocking stuffer and will be shipped to you by Christmas. Check out A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich at akidsjourney.com. That's akidsjourney.com. So we're talking about global warming and how it is that there's been a little bit, just a little bit, of dishonesty on the part of many so-called scientists who are advocating the creation of a global government, a U.N., uh, more global rules on emissions and warming and environmental controls and that sort of thing. They've got an agenda, and they want to push it. And this whole global warming idea um, gives them the ability to push their agenda. And according to the Telegraph from the United Kingdom and the scientist that's uh, writing, writing his article, Christopher Moncton, He's got all his data. He's got all his data. He's got all his references cited here. So if you don't believe what we're saying, then we're going to post this link on the BBS, and you can take a look at it for yourself. But as he points out, according to the UN's 2001 report, there's this uh, fake graph that they made up because what they did was they eliminated what's called the medieval warm period. As it turns out, um, the medi- during medieval times, it was warmer than it is today. Hmm. And the U.N. just decided to wipe that whole part out of their graph. And they used some very tricky methods in order to do that. And that's what he's been revealing so far. They're not so even far. tricky. They're deceptive. Just uh, Yeah, just uh, deliberately deceptive. Uh, the U.N., echoed by Stern, says the graph wasn't important. Well, it is. Scores of scientific papers show that the medieval warm period was real, global, and up to three degrees Celsius warmer wow. than it is now. That's like... 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it is. Then there were no glaciers in the tropical Andes. Today, they're there. There were Viking farms in Greenland. That's right. Now, they're under permafrost. There was little ice at the North Pole. A Chinese naval squadron sailed right round the Arctic in 1421 and found none. The Antarctic, which holds 90% of the world's ice and nearly all of its 160,000 glaciers, has cooled and gained ice mass in the past 30 years, reversing a 6,000-year melting trend. Data from the 6,000 boreholes worldwide show global temperatures were higher in the Middle Ages than now. And the snows of Kilimanjaro are vanishing, not because summit temperature is rising, it isn't, but because post-colonial deforestation has dried the air. Al Gore, please note. In some places, it was also warmer than now in the Bronze Age and in Roman times. It wasn't CO2 that caused those warm periods. It was, drumroll please, the sun. Hmm. So the UN adjusted the math and all but extinguished the sun's role in today's warming. Here's how they did it. The UN dated its list of forcings, that is, influences on temperature, from 1750, when the sun and consequently air temperature was almost as warm as it is now. But its start date for the increase in world temperature was 1900, when the sun and temperature were much cooler. 
Every forcing produces climate feedbacks, making temperature rise faster. For instance, as temperature rises in response to a forcing, the air carries more water vapor, the most important greenhouse gas, and polar ice melts, increasing heat absorption. Up goes the temperature again. The UN more than doubled the base of forcings from greenhouse gases to allow for climate feedbacks. It didn't do the same for the base solar forcing. They just had two, essentially saying they had two separate methods for what should have been the same, the, sun ver- the solar versus uh, the climate feedbacks. Two centuries ago, the astronomer Wil- William Herschel was reading Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations when he noticed that quoted grain prices fell when the number of sunspots rose. Gales of laughter ensued. But he was right. As so- at solar maxima, when the sun was at its hottest and sunspots showed, temperature was warmer. Mm-hmm. Grain grew faster and prices fell. Such observations show that even small solar changes can affect climate detectably. But recent solar changes have been big. Sam Solansky, a solar uh, physicist, that's appropriate, right? Last name Solansky, be a solar (laughs) physicist? I guess. Says that in the past half century, the sun has been warmer for longer than at any time in the past 11,400 years. That's a long time period. Contributing a base forcing equivalent to a quarter of the past century's warming. That's before adding in climate feedbacks, like greenhouse gases, that sort of thing. The UN expresses its heat energy forcings in watts per square meter per second. It estimates that the sun caused just 0.3 watts of forcings in 1750. Begin in 1900 to match the temperature start date, and the base solar forcing more than doubles to 0.7 watts. Multiply by 2.7, which the Royal Society suggests is the UN's current factor for climate feedbacks, and you get 1.9 watts, more than six times the UN's figure. Hmm. So the sun essentially had a much larger role in whatever warming's happening than the UN wants to admit. I see. So we aren't in control of what goes on in the sun. No amount of puttering around in your little cars is going to have an effect on that. Nope. All the uh, beef-producing cattle out there, all their... Flatulence, that doesn't have anything to do with the sun. So minimize the sun, shove that to the side, it's not really a factor, even though, according to this guy, it is. So the entire 20th century warming from all sources was below 2 watts. The sun could have caused just about all of it. Next, the UN slashed the natural greenhouse effect by 40% from 33 degrees Celsius in the climate physics textbooks to 20 degrees Celsius, making the man-made additions appear bigger. Then the U.N. shows the biggest 20th century temperature increase it could find. Stern says, quote, As anticipated by scientists, global mean surface temperatures have risen over the past century. As anticipated? Only 30 years ago, scientists were anticipating a new ice age and See, writing books I told called... you, it's the first person that's ever corroborated this with me. <laughs> what do you mean? That this guy is talking about the new ice age. And I've never, I knew that they were predicting it when I was a kid. But yeah, I've corroborated that before. Only because I told you. And I, I felt like I've it was read only, that elsewhere. Okay, I felt like it was only because I had told that to you. I think Harry Brown mentions it in Why Government Doesn't Work. So they were writing books, not only were they predicting the Ice Age, but they were writing books called The Cooling back 30 years ago. In the United States, where weather records have been more reliable than elsewhere, 20th century temperature only went up by 0.3 degrees Celsius. AccuWeather, a worldwide meteorological service, reckons the world temperature rose by... degrees Celsius. The U.S. National Climate Data Center says 0.5 degrees Celsius. Any advance on 0.5? The U.N. went for 0.6 degrees Celsius, probably distorted by urban growth near many of the world's fast-disappearing temperature stations. 
The number of temperature stations around the world peaked at 6,000 in 1970. It's actually fallen by two-thirds to 2,000 now. A real hockey stick curve and an instance of the U.N.'s growing reliance on computer guesswork rather than facts. So today they actually have less data coming in than they did in 1970. There's just less people measuring temperature. Hmm. Even a 0.6 degree uh, Celsius temperature rise wasn't enough. So the U.N. repealed a fundamental physical law. Buried in the subchapter in its 2001 report is a short but revealing section discussing lambda. The crucial, uh, the crucial factor converting forcings into temperature. The UN said its climate models had found lambda near invariant at 0.5 degrees Celsius per watt of forcing. You don't need computer models to find lambda. Its value is given by a century-old law derived experimentally by a Slovenian professor and proved by his Austrian student, who later committed suicide when his scientific compatriots refused to believe in atoms. The Stefan Boltzmann... <laughs> he, he committed suicide because people didn't believe in atoms? Yeah, he's really serious about yeah, it. Yeah, apparently he was. The Stefan Boltzmann law, not mentioned once in the UN's 2001 report, is as central to thermodynamics of climate as Einstein's later, uh, later equation is to astrophysics. Like Einstein's, it relates energy to the square of the speed of light, but by reference to temperature rather than mass. The bigger the value of lambda, the temperature increase the UN could... Uh, the bigger the temperature increase the UN could predict. Using poor Ludwig's Boltzmann law, lambda's true value is just 0.22 to 0.3 degrees Celsius per watt. In 2001, the UN effectively repealed that law, doubling lambda to 0.5 degrees Celsius per watt. They just rewrote the laws of physics, Mark. They just well, they just made numbers up. Yeah. Yeah. 800-259-9231. So please take any information on so-called global warming with a huge grain of salt. There's a lot of dishonesty going on. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free. So if you like that, and you like Free Talk Live, and you want to help support the show on a voluntary basis, then go to amp.freetalklive.com and learn more about how you can help advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live. It's very simple. You send in 3 bucks a month via... PayPal subscriptions automatically removed from your PayPal account every month. You don't even have to think about it. Or credit uh, credit card, secure credit card form, which is also a subscription service as well. So again, it's like you just do it once. You sign up and uh, and forget about it. It's easy. It's just three bucks a month. The point is, it sends in to us. We turn it around into promoting Free Talk Live. We use that three dollars a month to buy industry advertisements. We use it to buy. Internet advertisements to get new uh, listeners on board, to get new Internet listeners. The industry advertisements go to get new radio stations and thereby new listeners on board. All of this with the express purpose of spreading Free Talk Live and thereby the message of freedom and liberty around the world. So if that's important to you and you want to get your hands on some perks like access to classic archives and the AMP-only phone lines, the AMP-only forum and more, head over to amp.freetalklive.com. So the... Telegraph, London Telegraph, talking about uh, there's an an article in there from a from a scientist who's done the research and has discovered that the UN has been a little bit dishonest on this whole global warming thing, because well they have an agenda to push and so they've changed the laws of physics they have modified who, data who better to uh, implement a policy of uh, you know world compliance to a set of rules on arbitrary know, rules yeah ar- whatever rules on uh, how much uh, carbon di- carbon monoxide you're uh, you know 
combustion engines can produce and how many cows you can have per pe- per person mm-hmm. and all this other crap. I can't imagine what else they would do, but the list would not be as short as the two that I just mentioned. Um, but the UN really right in the position for this. Other otherwise, you've got some organization like I don't know uh, WWF, the World Wildlife Foundation, saying please. Um, 100 and 200 governments of the world, please abide by these rules. And, well, that's not going to go very well. So as we've discovered so far, they've uh, shifted data, they've changed the laws of physics, they've removed data completely that was really important, the medieval warming period, and all this, again, we'll post on the BBS, bbs.freetalklive.com. But there's even more, Mark, (laughs) even more malfeasance on the part of these bureaucrats. A spate of recent scientific papers gearing up for the U.N.'s fourth report next year. Remember, we were talking they had the second report in 1996, the third report in 2001, and things shifted dramatically between 96 and 2001. Information they had in 96 disappeared in the 2001 report because it wasn't politically expedient anymore. Mm. And uh, so now they're working on a fourth report, and because of this, they're now giving a different reason for the failure of reality to keep up with prediction. Because they make all kinds of predictions about how the world is coming to an end. And they give you some statistics. Well, it's just not measuring up. The predictions aren't even close to accurate. And so they've got to have an excuse, right? Well, now the oceans, we're told, are acting as a giant heat sink. In these papers, the well-known central flaw is that the computer model's predictions of past ocean temperature changes only approach reality if they're averaged over a depth of at least a mile and a quarter. Deep ocean temperature hasn't changed at all. It's barely above freezing. The models tend to over-predict the warming of the climate relevant surface, uh, relevant surface layer up to threefold. Over-predicting up to threefold. Hmm. A recent paper by John Lyman of the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association reports that the oceans have cooled sharply in the past two years. The computers didn't predict this. Now, if the oceans were acting as a heat sink, then they should be warming. That You would think. Sea level. That's the whole idea of a heat sink. It absorbs the heat. Exactly, and distributes it. Sea level is scarcely rising faster today than a century ago, an inch every 15 years. Hansen now says that the oceanic flywheel effect gives us extra time to act, so Stern's alarmism is misplaced. Finally, the UN's predictions are founded not only on an exaggerating forcing-to-temperature conversion factor justified neither by observation nor by physical law, but also on an excessive rate of increase in airborne carbon dioxide. The true rate is 0.38% per percent year, uh, year-on-year since records began in 1958. So that's how much it's increasing since 1958, 0.38%. Doesn't seem like much. The models assume, the UN models assume 1% per year, more than two and a half times too high than the actual numbers. In 2001, the UN used these and other adjustments to predict a 21st century temperature increase of 1.5 to 6 degrees Celsius. Stern suggests up to 10 degrees Celsius. Dick Lindzen emailed me last week to say that constant repetition of wrong numbers doesn't make them right. Removing the UN solecisms and using reasonable data and assumptions, a simple global model shows the temperature will rise by just 0.1 to 1.4 degrees Celsius in the coming century, with a best estimate of 0.6 degrees Celsius, well within the medieval temperature range, and only a fifth of the UN's new central projection. So remember... The medieval temperature, of the, the medieval warming trend went up as high as 3 degrees Celsius above today's temperatures. Right. 
So with the accurate predictions that this guy's talking about, you're looking at a maximum of 1.4 degrees more in the next 100 years, with more likely it to be 0.6 degrees Celsius. So the U.N. is just way, way out of control. Doesn't sound like it's going to be terrible. Why haven't air or sea temperatures turned out as the U.N.'s models predicted they would? Because the science is bad. The consensus is wrong. And Air Professor Ludwig Boltzmann, FRS, was right about energy to temperature, was as right about energy to temperature as he was about atoms. Hmm. So there. So what global warming? It's all within the natural scale of things. If you look at the history, it's all happened before. And it will go up and it will go down. And that's what has happened. And as he points out, the sun is a much bigger factor than the U.N. would like to admit. Well, I don't know whether... um I, I respect everything that's in there, but it seems to me that global warming is either A, not controlled by us, or B, controlled by us. And in either case, there's nothing we can do about it because we are six billion people on a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you try to control it with you know, governments, what's going to happen is is the governments are only going to increase reward their, their power. Yeah, reward their friends, punish their enemies in the process of supposedly cleaning up their acts um and you know the people that know the government officials are going to be able to pollute all they want on whatever land they want to do it on and the people that don't have you know so many regulations they it just stifles their business completely and so the globe warms i mean it's still it doesn't even matter look what he talked about the medieval warming trend how mm-hmm. it was three degrees celsius up that's like what nine degrees fahrenheit that's a significant amount in fahrenheit and because uh, there's more uh there's more degrees per fahrenheit than there is per celsius right. it's a weird transition but uh he points out several examples in that article about how well it just meant that they could farm in greenland yeah so and they did so things got a little sweltering down down around the equator hey you know what what's new the farmer's almanac from i think it was the 1300s or something like that um they grew grapes in england well how are they going to grow grapes in england um under normal you know circumstances you Mm -hmm. can't no way but Back in the Middle Ages, you could. could. 800-259-9231. Patrick emails in, Hey, I was just browsing through the midterm results of the U.S., and I've been very interested in the Free State Project, and even though I'm a United Kingdom citizen, I consider myself a pretty hardcore libertarian, a fan of Austrian school economics, all in favor of scrapping minimum wage laws and pretty much any government involvement on drug use, anti-discrimination laws, free speech, education, health roads, etc., etc. My point is, for a state that is supposedly so biased towards self-governance and liberty, what gives with the extremely poor turnout... For libertarian representatives, I understand that New Hampshire's existing laws are pretty liberal, but judging by the turnout, uh, as in the classical sense, like pro-freedom, but judging by the turnout for other states, it seems to me that it's one of the least likely states to actually want to strip more laws. So what's the uh, deal with the extremely poor turnout for libertarian representatives? Well, it's the same old deal. Uh, Libertarians aren't even, they don't even have ballot access here in New Hampshire because of Republicans and Democrats passing laws that prevents libertarians and other third parties from getting on the ballot. It's a it's a stacked deck against the libertarian party, which is why that the uh, the tactic of running as a Democrat or a Republican is actually more successful here in New Hampshire. Right. It's just a label. Who cares if you run as a Democrat or a Republican? I don't. No. I'm... If you if you agree to uh, if you agree with the small government pledge, and that is you'll sign your name to say that you will reduce the size of government and definitely not grow the size of government, that's good enough for me. I'll vote for you. I like the. Uh, uh... I like Bednarik's contract that he signed uh, with the, you know, 
Yeah, that's a little long. I don't think most people are going to take the time to read that contract. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And I think that Do it's both. easy to I think it's easy to understand that one sentence pledge. I don't I will not support the increase in the size of government. The increase in uh, in tax dollars and all of that. He says, also, I'm wondering just how feasible a New Hampshire Free State project actually taking off will be compared to, say, Switzerland, which has been, uh, been pretty libertarian-leaning as of late. Is it feasible? Well, yeah, it's certainly feasible. There's over 7,000 members so far. Over 200 people have moved at this point. And we're expecting even more within the next couple years. Things are already happening. The evidence is there. We already elected the first Free Stater this past November. And uh, 70-something members of the NHLA are in. What more do you need? More is on the way tomorrow night. Join us in the meantime online at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.